You are listening to the Science and Soul of Living Well, where we highlight evidence-based tools from psychological science and complementary and alternative medicine to help us all cultivate resilience and live with more meaning, purpose, and alignment with personal values, even in the most stressful and darkest of times. I'm Melissa Mingfoynes, your host, and I am also a clinical psychologist and educator, trauma-informed mindfulness meditation and yoga teacher, and Ayurvedic doula. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for carving out the time to join me for today's episode. Before I launch into today's topic, I wanted to take a moment to share a bit about my one-on-one coaching program because I've received quite a number of inquiries about it and also because Today's topic is perfectionism, and perfectionistic tendencies are something that I often address in this program with clients. So for those of you who really identify with the themes in our conversation today, I think it may be of interest. So the one-on-one coaching program, The Science and Soul of Resilient Living, is a holistic personalized three-month coaching program that skillfully integrates evidence-based tools from psychological science with complementary and alternative medicine, all in a way that is catered to meet your unique needs. So it brings together the best of both worlds, the eastern side and the western side. And the intention of this program is to really address healing in mind, body, and spirit, and to help you cultivate more intentional, embodied, and fulfilled living through evidence-based psychological practices, as well as tools and supports from other philosophies and traditions. So different branches of yoga, including the physical practice of yoga, asana, pranayama or breath work, meditation and mindfulness, as well as Ayurveda, which is the sister science of yoga and an ancient preventative medicine system originating in India that focuses on daily and seasonal routines, nutritional support, the gut, brain, mind connection, as well as various lifestyle adjustments, all designed to balance your unique mental and physical constitution. And I think it's important to share the impetus for this program, which is that I was encountering so many clients in my therapy practice who looked really put together on the outside but inside were really feeling like failures like imposters who were striving for perfectionism and different forms of status to feel worthy existing on autopilot being really harsh with themselves for their mistakes sometimes tolerating relationships that didn't serve them well not being kind to their bodies feeling guilty that they couldn't find happiness, feeling like other people have it worse, and just really feeling like they don't belong, they're not doing enough to change their lives, change the world, really getting disconnected from the sense of who they truly are and what they really want and feeling stuck and lost and empty and alone. And while a traditional psychotherapeutic approach can be enormously helpful for these challenges, it's not the right match for everyone. And many people can really benefit from more of a coaching approach that combines these modalities that I've mentioned that I really do think have a synergistic power when they're used together and the coaching approach combines one-on-one individual sessions with coaching support outside of those one-on-one sessions so it's really designed to help you deepen your skill sets and to help you generalize some of these tools and strategies across different domains of your life so this coaching program utilizes a hybrid of approaches and learning modalities so videos audio recordings worksheets handouts readings practice assignments all intended to enhance your internalization and personalization and implement implementation of these tools and also provides you with some systems and structures to support you by offering 
access to me in between these one-on-one sessions so that I can help you troubleshoot barriers and answer questions as they arise in real time rather than needing to wait until the next session. So if that piques your interest, I really encourage you to check out my website, melissafoynes.com and learn more. So I'm really excited to talk with you all about this topic of perfectionism today for a number of reasons. I first was drawn to this topic for this week because it is so common for many of us to cognitively understand on an intellectual level that perfection is an illusion. Yet to simultaneously spend so much time and energy and emotional bandwidth striving for perfectionism and chasing it. And often we strive for perfectionism, we chase it due to an underlying belief that we're not enough. And we think that if we're able to be perfect, we will find happiness. We will earn love and affection and popularity and success all through these external achievements and measures of worth. So really, when we are struggling with perfectionism or we are noticing perfectionistic tendencies arising in our lives, that can be an indication that we have forgotten who we truly are. That we've disconnected from our inherent worth. That worth that exists regardless of our accolades, our bank accounts, our relationship status, whether we do or don't have children, what age we are, how much we weigh, what we look like physically. So I think gaining insight into the ways in which we actually act as though perfection is possible, even if we know deep down it isn't, is a really important aspect of our individual and collective healing. So you may not identify as a perfectionist per se, and I honestly don't even encourage labeling ourselves in that way because I think we can get so attached to these definitions and caught up in them that we unconsciously start to live up to those definitions. But you may have perfectionistic tendencies that exist in your life some of which may have certain benefits and some of which may be quite harmful. And so that's one reason I really wanted to broach this topic today. Another reason that I felt really compelled toward this topic at this time was that I recently received a really moving email from a podcast listener about the impact that this podcast has had in their life. And it reminded me of how the production of this podcast, the creation of it, the process of sustaining it and continuing to deliver it has really been an exercise for me personally in letting go of perfectionism. So I have worked really hard in my own life to embrace the good enough principle, the 80% rather than the 110% and really experientially discovering what that means to give 80% effort rather than 110. And it's also involved me letting go of my desire for everything I produce and offer to the world and to my clients to be profound and epic. And I think this comes from a deep heart space of really wanting to serve people and for everything I offer to be of value and yet not everything needs to be TED Talk quality. Things can still be extremely valuable even if they aren't profound and epic. And so the creation of this podcast is an example of something that I had been wanting to do for many, many years, but kept not doing because I felt like I wasn't ready, like I needed to do more research about how to be a skillful podcast host, that I needed to wait until I had a team of people to support me in publishing it. And ultimately, I just decided to go for it, to speak from my heart and to let that pure intention to help others and to offer a free and accessible resource really guide the way. And so to receive this email really made this all come full circle to me. And I want to share a bit about this email with you and I have had permission to do so. 
So in this email, this person writes, This past week and weekend, I was in a sea of baby and marriage news. Lately, it feels like all of my friends are married, have homes, and are now having families. I'm not there and do not have these elements in my life yet. And these things, marriage, bridal and baby showers, baby news, and home partnership talks, can feel very isolating to me and trigger resentment, envy, and despair. I focus on all that I don't have instead of what I do. I want to thank you because I was having a very tough time this weekend and I knew that I could look to your library of podcast episodes and find a topic or discussion by you that might resonate and give context to what I was feeling, something to help. I ended up listening to the Wisdom of Envy episode and it was right on the mark. Thank you for sharing these resources with all of us. Congratulations on your library of episodes. No small feat and please know that so many, maybe even more than you realize, find solace in your teachings. So it's really hard for me to put into words how moving it was for me to receive this email and that people not only listen to this podcast but seek it out in times of heartache and that they have the capacity to offer such comfort and solace. And I so appreciated this person reaching out and taking the time to share their thoughts and feelings with me. And In my response to this person, I shared how I had a teacher that once said, you can only take people as far as you have gone in your own life. And so I want all of you to know that when I share these episodes, I am often speaking from my heart and well, I'm always speaking from my heart, but I'm often sourcing from my own lived experiences with these human struggles that I share with all of you and it is my attempt to offer what has helped me in some of the darkest moments in my own life, moments of extreme sadness and loneliness and despair. And so even if I don't say it explicitly, I share these teachings because I have lived through and continue to live through these painful moments too. And I started this podcast thinking that no one would listen and you are. And so I want to thank you and I hope that me sharing a bit about this background helps inspire you in taking these vulnerable steps and putting yourself out there and knowing that sometimes it is in this space of imperfection that we can actually make the most difference in people's lives and me offering a podcast that isn't perfect that is not always perfectly edited can still have such a meaningful impact in people's lives so and of course please continue to reach out to me and share your thoughts and feedback about the podcast and request topics i really am here to serve you and your needs and to speak to the themes that are most on your minds and hearts so please continue reaching out i truly love hearing from all of you so perfectionism in terms of what we are going to cover today we'll start off by talking a bit about what we mean when we talk about perfectionism. So taking some time to make sure we're on the same page about how to define perfectionism. I'll also walk you through a bit of a self-assessment regarding perfectionism and both the subtle and less subtle ways it can show up in different life domains. And the self-assessment that we walk through in today's episode will be relatively brief because I am actually going to be creating a second companion episode which will have a more extended version of the self-assessment piece that you can listen to as more of a meditation or you can follow along with some accompanying worksheets to fill out in more of a written reflection exercise and so the version I'm offering in the episode today will be much shorter with the intention that you have that other podcast that you can also revisit when and if you desire and on an exciting note I'll also be offering a third third podcast episode that will delve even more deeply into some strategies, some holistic strategies that you can use in your own life to shift some of these perfectionistic tendencies. So feel free to listen to all three or any one in particular that most resonates with you. 
We'll then talk a bit about some of the root causes of perfectionism to gain more insight into how some of these perfectionistic tendencies may have developed, emerged, gotten reinforced throughout our our lifespans. And we will close by speaking a bit about the pros and cons of perfectionism with the hopes that understanding some of the ways in which perfectionistic tendencies can both help and harm us will help you uncover the areas of your life in which you want to shift some of these tendencies. Because it is hard to identify perfectionistic tendencies unless we really know what we are looking for, I want to spend some time sharing some highlights with you about what we know from psychological research about perfectionism. So there is some controversy in the field of psychology about how best to both define and measure perfectionism. However, there have been several decades of research dedicated to research on perfectionism. And that research has resulted in a general consensus that perfectionism is a complex, multidimensional concept that involves both personal traits So aspects within us, ways that we think and behave and feel and act and relate to life experience as well as interpersonal traits. So ways that we think about relationships and relate to other people. And based on some frameworks that emerged in the early 1990s and that have been researched and refined since then, in general, perfectionism involves a tendency to set excessively high goals that are unrealistic as well as a tendency towards overly critical evaluations that involve concerns about mistakes and doubts about our actions. So it's really in a nutshell a combination of criticism and unrealistic standards that can be directed towards the self or others or both. So you can see how this is these two constructs, criticism and unrealistic standards, are somewhat interrelated. So if I have unrealistic standards about what is humanly possible, I am going to fall short, which is going to leave me vulnerable to opportunities for self-criticism. On the flip side, if I am highly self-critical, I may be prone to thoughts like, well, if I just try harder, or learn more, or stay up later, or change X aspect of myself, I'll feel more confident, I'll be a better parent or a partner or boss or employee or sibling. So it's almost like we can create high standards as a way to feel like we have a solution to our shortcomings in a way that counteracts the self-criticism or at least feels like it does. And perfectionism typically has three different ways in which it can manifest. There's more of a self-oriented perfectionism. So a way in which we really require perfectionism of ourselves. More of an other-oriented perfectionism in which we really require perfection of other people. And more of a socially prescribed perfectionism where we hold this belief that other people demand and require perfection of us as well. And so you may notice tendencies in all three of these areas or one or two. They they can coexist or they can also be independent. I think it's also important to keep in mind that perfectionism is functional. It is a way of coping with anxiety-provoking thoughts and experiences. It can give us a sense of stability and control to feel like we can change other people's perspectives of us or we can become more worthy or enhance our self-esteem. It gives us a sense that there is something that can be done about however we're feeling inside. And so While it can be really tempting to judge perfectionism, I think it is important to recognize that it comes from a functional place. It is a coping strategy, even if it doesn't serve us and if there are aspects of perfectionistic tendencies that really interfere with different domains of our lives, that it does come from that functional place so that we can then have compassion for how these tendencies developed and how they have served us in different time points in our lives. 
In further defining what perfectionism is, I think it's also important to clarify what perfection perfectionism is not. And perfectionism is really different from conscientiousness, from self-discipline, from organization, and from achievement. Perfectionism involves a certain kind of rigidity in which perfection of oneself and or others is not only expected, but demanded. So much so that the need for perfection and concern with being perfect and or appearing perfect can be so compulsive that imperfection is not tolerated in oneself and others and causes a significant amount of distress when imperfection ultimately occurs, because it will, because we're human. Perfectionism is also different from having high standards or seeking excellence. So with perfectionism, standards are unrealistically high. They're inhumanly possible. And as such, they create a sense of striving for the impossible, of chasing the impossible with little grace and tolerance given for mistakes and imperfection. High standards and goals of excellence, on the other hand, really do allow for imperfection and mistakes. And with a stance of high standards and excellence, mistakes are seen as mistakes rather than global indicators of worth, which is a bit different when it comes to perfectionism. So in perfectionism, In the midst of this striving and chasing for this ideal of perfection, there is often an attempt to prove yourself or this sense that something needs to be proved. And mistakes are often seen as an indication of your inferiority or a failure or a lack of worth. And so mistakes and failures and setbacks And missteps are typically viewed as global and permanent and catastrophic. So really self-worth ends up getting tied to external parameters like achievement, like other people's opinions and judgments. And because the standards that are set are so impossible and unrealistic, it creates a relentlessness. We continue to pursue and drive and work. And so we might go to great lengths to avoid taking risks. We might go to great lengths to avoid disappointing others. And we might instead stick to what is known and familiar and to things that we feel good at. So there's this need to prove ourselves, there's this sense that our worth is tied to external parameters, and there is often this belief that mediocrity or being good enough is inferior, a sense of hierarchy is created. And going along with that, there is often a tendency to overemphasize our weaknesses and underestimate our strengths. Again, often with the underlying belief that at our core, we're not worthy, we're not lovable, we're not good enough. And so again, these tendencies are a way of coping with some of these negative self-beliefs. I'd like to transition now to a self-assessment that is not an opportunity for judgment or self-criticism. The purpose of walking through this assessment together is really to help you gain more insight into areas of your life in which perfectionistic tendencies might show up, even if in subtle ways, to help you decide what, if anything, you may want to shift. Sometimes these perfectionistic tendencies can be very regulating emotionally and very organizing, especially in times of stress or chaos. So it's not like you need to change them or stop them. And you are the expert on you. This process is really more about becoming more aware of the impact of these tendencies in a holistic way, in mind, body, and spirit, in different domains of your life, rather than continuing these patterns out of habit. So it's about bringing choice to the equation. And it is with this new consciousness, this heightened level of of awareness, that you can make more intentional decisions about how you want to live your life and anything that you want to work on or do differently going forward. I also want to include the caveat that I think it can be problematic 
to label ourselves as perfectionists. And that's why I sometimes slip up, but I do try to use the phrase perfectionistic tendencies rather than being a perfectionist because perfectionism, as we've been saying, is not a black and white category. It's not something that you either do or don't have. It could be present in different life domains, in different degrees, and it's also not something that defines who you are. So even if it is a really ingrained habit or it feels like a personality trait because your caregivers or other people in your life have told you that this is how you've always been, change is possible. The brain is plastic. Many of you who have listened to me before or who are clients of mine know that I say this all the time and the research supports it and I genuinely believe it. We can change these patterns and tendencies and I think when we overly identify with a certain label, whether it's I'm a perfectionist or whether I'm anxious, whatever it is, when we over identify, it can deprive us of seeing the opportunity for change and resilience and intentional choice. So I think that's another piece of this process to keep in mind that by walking through this and this assessment we're not trying to label each other as perfectionists it's really about getting more insight into some of these nuances and subtleties and also some of the more obvious ways is in which perfectionistic tendencies might be showing up. For this self-assessment, I will be highlighting different life domains in which it is really common for perfectionistic tendencies to emerge. And we'll just highlight a few considerations for you to ponder as you reflect on the extent to which perfectionistic tendencies could be interfering in your own quality of life. And as a reminder, there is a longer, more extended version of this self-assessment that is going to follow this episode. So this is really just an abbreviated version to get your introspective juices flowing. My intention in offering that second episode as part of this three-part series on perfectionism is to really give you a dedicated opportunity to focus exclusively on some introspection. So that second episode will really be structured in a way that allows for time and spaciousness between questions. I'll be asking some more pointed questions, really inviting you to dive deep and really understand some of the ways in which these perfectionistic tendencies may be showing up in your own life. So for today's episode, let's launch into the more abbreviated version of this self-assessment. So the first category I would invite you to consider is your physical appearance. Now, as you probably remember from the beginning of the episode, we talked about these three dimensions in which perfectionistic tendencies can typically fall. More of the self-oriented or self-focused perfectionism, having really high standards and expectations for oneself, and not really tolerating mistakes that involve the self, the more other-oriented perfectionism, which is focused on other people and having high standards for them and difficulties tolerating imperfections in them, and then more of the socially prescribed perfectionism, which involves beliefs and expectations that other people are demanding perfection of you, have really high expectations and are not willing or able to tolerate your own imperfections. So I would love for you to keep these three dimensions in mind as we go through each of these categories. So when it comes to physical appearance in particular, consider do you treat yourself in a way that has unrealistic realistically high expectations vis-a-vis your physical appearance? Do you have high expectations and demands when it comes to other people's physical appearance? And do you presume that other people are expecting certain standards of your own physical appearance and potentially tying your worth and value and the extent to which they love and admire you to your physical appearance? 
The next category I would love for you to consider is physical fitness and your relationship to physical health and physical fitness and whether your standards for yourself and other people are unrealistic, are rigid, are demanding in this particular domain. You can also consider do you have certain catastrophic thinking, negative thinking when it comes to your presumptions about how other perceive you in terms of your physical fitness level, what beliefs or opinions or judgments they might have if they learn about your physical health, your physical activity level, and how they might treat you accordingly. Another domain that I think is really important to consider when it comes to perfectionistic tendencies is profession. So really thinking about the standards you hold for yourself, you hold for other people, and what you presume other people expect for you in your professional domain. And we'll get into a lot more detail in the second episode in terms of different ways this can manifest, but really consider what your standards are like in this professional domain. Are they unrealistic? Do you tend to avoid taking risks professionally? Do you go to great lengths to protect yourself from criticism and feedback that may not resonate, that may not feel good? And I do encourage you to check out the second episode for all of these domains, but particularly the professional one because I think this is one of these areas where we have a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be perfectionistic or to have these tendencies when it comes to our professional lives. And I know for me, I did not identify with perfectionistic tendencies in my career, in my professional life previously, until I learned more about the subtle ways in which this was operating. So this can operate in in a pretty sneaky way. And again, the same can be said for the other domains, but I think this one in particular, because it's one in which we have a certain mentality or mindset or vision of what a perfectionist or what perfectionistic tendencies look like professionally and so when we don't match that vision we might think it's not a problem and it may actually be. I'd also love for you to consider the domain of your life involving joy and your relationship to pleasure and joy. So this could include hobbies or a vocation, volunteering, or just pleasure and joy in general, not tied to specific activities, and really considering the standards that you hold for yourself and other people, the assumptions you make about other people's expectations of you when it comes to pleasure and joy, and wondering to yourself, is there a way in which you carry a certain kind of rigidity, a certain kind of level of demand, a certain relationship to pleasure and joy that is somewhat striving, somewhat driven, somewhat forceful, in a way that takes away from the joy? Is it very goal-oriented, very competitive, very comparative? Is it hard for you to savor joy, to be in joy just because? The next category I'd love for you to consider is the category of parenting or mentorship. And again, standards that you hold for yourself and other people as well as you, what you presume others might think of you in this domain. And so that could really be how you treat yourself as a mentor or a parent or how you treat yourself when you make mistakes in this domain. It could also be how you treat other people when they make mistakes or don't share your values or live up to your expectations. How you respond to disappointment of your mentees, of your children. And also the extent to which you alter your behavior as a result of assumptions of what other people might think of you based on your parenting or mentoring. The next category is the relationship category. So really thinking about the different circles in your life and the expectations that you have of yourself and other people when it comes to relationships. So really considering, do you tend to feel really disappointed or let down by other people? Do you presume they will feel let down by you? What is your relationship to making mistakes and other people's making of mistakes when it comes to your relationships? You might also consider your sex life and the extent to which perfectionistic tendencies might arise here. So this could be how you respond to rejection, how you treat expectations of yourself sexually, the responsibility that you take for other people's sexual needs and preferences. 
And you could also consider your physical environment, the extent to which you strive for organization and cleanliness and what it's like when you can't maintain a certain level of order in your environment, how you treat other people when they don't maintain a certain level of order or cleanliness in their environment, noticing what kinds of emotions come up for you, certain kinds of thoughts or judgments. And if you have a preoccupation with what other people might think of you based on your physical environment and surroundings. You might also consider your relationship to vulnerability. Oftentimes our efforts to avoid vulnerability, to protect ourselves, to keep ourselves safe are a reflection of how much stock we are putting into trying to achieve this illusion, this unrealistic, unattainable definition of perfectionism. You might also consider how much space you have in your life and your relationship to time. Do you tend to overpack things in, run really late, feel tired and burnt out? So really considering what is your relationship to time? What is your relationship to other people when they are late? What kinds of fears or concerns come up for you when you think about other people's perspectives and perceptions of you when it comes to time and schedule? You also might consider your relationship to success, how easily you are able to appreciate your success, acknowledge your success without downplaying or minimizing it. And lastly, I think it can be really helpful to consider your sense of self-worth and certain self-beliefs that you might hold to see if you can uncover if there are any if there are any perfectionistic tendencies here. So oftentimes when we tie our worth to external parameters, whether it's other people's opinions, whether it's titles, awards, achievements, money, various forms of status, that can really lead to perfectionistic tendencies because the stakes feel really high. We can be so concerned with failing because we feel like we are inferior if we aren't successful. So we might push and push and push and push way more than we need to and invest more time and energy and emotional bandwidth than we need to for certain tasks in a way that isn't proportionate to how much we truly value them in our lives because our sense of self-worth and our views of ourselves, what we believe about ourselves is so tied to those external accomplishments and measures. So again, I highly encourage you to check out that second episode, which will dive much, much, much more deeply into all of these core domains and ask some really pointed questions to help you dive more deeply in, get a better sense of understanding in terms of perfectionism, perfectionistic tendencies in these different life domains. I'd love to transition now into considering some of the common causes of perfectionistic tendencies. So of course we can't cover every possible permutation of ways in which these tendencies can develop and get can develop and get reinforced across the lifespan but I do want to highlight some because I do think having some insight into the trajectory of our own tendencies in our lives can be really powerful and also an opportunity for more self-compassion and understanding rather than self-blame and self-criticism. So of course our experiences in childhood can be really impactful when it comes to perfectionistic tendencies. So perfectionistic tendencies can be self-imposed and we'll talk a bit in a few minutes about certain personality traits that are often linked to perfectionistic tendencies, but they can also come from our families, our communities, and various institutions. So you can consider for yourself what early messages did you receive Receive about who you are and what defines your worth. So, for example, what tended to get attention, love, and praise from people that you loved and admired and respected in your life? And what kinds of activities or experiences were associated with criticism and rejection and punishment and disapproval? So, you might recall feeling praised or loved when you had an athletic achievement or got a certain grade. And so for many of us, when we link love and attention and praise to some of these external parameters, that can lead to some internalization of messages about our worth being based on achievement. 
You could also consider if you were in any communities or family systems where being the best was really prioritized and valued and emphasized a certain kind of competition or comparison. You also might consider whether your physical appearance was a source of conversation or attention. And also considering experiences of being bullied or demeaned or abused and mistreated, again, by family members, by peers, by mentors, other people in in your life. Because certainly those kinds of negative life experiences and traumas can lead to perfectionistic tendencies as well. There also is some research on parent or caregiver personalities and how the personality types of caregivers can also create some tendencies towards perfectionism in us. So if any of your caregivers had tendency towards perfectionism themselves, there is a bit of modeling that occurs that can cultivate those tendencies within you. There are also certain kinds of dynamics in these systems, relationships with parents and caregivers that can also lead to perfectionistic tendencies. So of course, as I mentioned, name calling, various forms of abuse and mistreatment and criticism. If you somehow internalized the message that there actually wasn't room for failure or for you to disagree or to oppose a position or even rebel, that can lead to perfectionistic tendencies. If you noticed that you would get the silent treatment or caregivers would withhold affection or guilt trip you when you performed a certain way or didn't perform a certain way, that can also lead to perfectionism. If you were explicitly told that someone was disappointed in you or ashamed of you, rather than focusing on the behavior, so I'm disappointed in you, I'm ashamed of you, rather than I'm disappointed in you cheating or lying or coming home late. So tying these feelings to your character and your inherent sense of worth rather than behavior. If you grew up in a family system where there were high levels of concern about what other people think, that can certainly lead to perfectionism. If you were around family members who weren't very concerned with your preferences or tend to tended towards micromanagement of you, had a lot of rigidity, perhaps there were pretty harsh consequences or punishments when you didn't live up to someone's standards. Maybe achievement was really praised above and beyond progress or effort. And so there was a high premium placed on outward signs of success like titles and awards and physical appearance. Maybe there was a lot of modeling of not just perfectionism, but self-criticism. And so that got very much internalized. There could also be physical absence of caregivers or emotional distance, which again can often lead us to tie our worth to certain activities that, that get attention or that bring us emotional connection. If caregivers tend to pay attention more when we achieve something, rather than paying attention to us, because of who we are in and of ourselves. If there was a lack of vulnerability modeled in terms of discomfort talking about feelings or caregivers were really busy and overscheduled, if we perceived how they related to other people, if they were very judgmental of others, had high standards and demands for other people, even if they weren't explicitly communicated to us, seeing them expect that from other people can lead us to think that that is expected of us. If we had caregivers who were hard to please, very unpredictable or moody, if we as children were blamed for problems in the family, if we were expected to stick with family values rather than encouraged to explore on our own, to be our own person and to trust that we would be loved and attended to for being our own person and being ourselves, that of course can contribute. And then when we make mistakes and don't perform well or we're disappointed in ourselves, the way in which we are treated by caregivers, are we held with compassion, with love, with understanding in a way that contextualizes what happens in a way that emphasizes our inherent worth above and beyond mistakes and performance, then that can make a difference in terms of how we tend towards perfectionism or not. 
There's also some research on birth order and some studies show that firstborn children and only children tend to be more vulnerable to perfectionism. The thinking hypothetically is that firstborn children often grow up with adults as primary role models and so they can internalize this idea that authority figures are always right and must be obeyed and similarly for for only children as well. Peer pressure can also contribute to perfectionistic tendencies. So this can also relate to certain kinds of sports or the culture of certain kinds of hobbies or activities and the extent to which those cultures and activities promote perfectionism and competition and being the best. And when a child has peers that are tending towards perfectionism they may consciously or unconsciously kind of take on that identity or tendency of other peers then of course social influences we've talked a lot about parental and caregiver influences but certainly experiences with teachers and mentors and coaches and again what got us praise and attention circumstances in which we felt loved so if you think back to the chronology of your life and really consider what are the times that I really felt valued and appreciated how was that conveyed to you and what circumstances did that happen because often for many of us it's it is a tide it is often tied to a certain kind of achievement rather than effort or our character or just who we are as a person and there is also some research on personality traits so many of us are born into the world as highly sensitive beings or with a tendency towards pessimism rather than optimism and both being highly sensitive and pessimistic tendencies can be associated with perfectionism and similarly many of us remember from an early age being really afraid of failure and sometimes we're born into the world in in that kind of way sometimes that really comes from life experiences and really living through really harmful painful experiences of being treated in a very hurtful way when we did fail or maybe we weren't taught how to tolerate failure or our caregivers protected us from failure and so we don't know how to tolerate those feelings of not meeting the standards or goals that we've set for ourselves or that we feel other people have set for ourselves or maybe we weren't taught how to tolerate imperfection in others so often it's a lack of skill or lack of modeling and sometimes that lack of skill or modeling can lead us to associate failure with catastrophe so there is a certain way of framing or thinking about mistakes that can get internalized from an early age. And on a related note, there are, of course, lots of societal messages that really focus on external achievement being the best. Certainly technology has contributed to certain expectations of being on all the time or responding urgently to people when they reach out. There are various media portrayals of what is considered desirable in terms of definitions of success and beauty and encouraging more of a comparative mindset that I think perpetuates this hierarchical way of hierarchical way of thinking about worth so again this is a very rich topic but I hope this gives you some nuggets to be thinking about as you consider your own relationship to perfectionistic tendencies and how these might have gotten developed and reinforced throughout your own lifespan. I want to close this conversation today with talking a little bit about the pros and cons of perfectionistic tendencies because many people ask me, well, what's so wrong with being a perfectionist or having perfectionistic tendencies? Because of course, as I've just been saying, our society often perpetuates this impossible ideal of perfection and And so we really can get the message that striving for perfectionism is actually valuable. And so I want to share a little bit about the research on this front. So research shows that different aspects of perfectionism can have negative, positive, or neutral effects depending on the circumstances. So two of the most commonly studied features of perfectionism 
include what are called perfectionistic strivings and perfectionistic concerns. And so let me take a minute to define each of these for you. So perfectionistic strivings include more of a self-oriented striving striving for perfectionism, which involves setting and pursuing exceedingly high self-standards. Perfectionistic concerns include preoccupation with making mistakes, intense self-scrutiny and concerns about potential judgment of others, and really strong negative reactions to imperfection, which often are associated with a sense of dissonance between our actual performance and what our expectations are. So in general, the research shows that perfectionistic strivings, these high self-standards, tend to be associated with more positive outcomes than perfectionistic concerns. So the worries about mistakes, the self-scrutiny, the preoccupation with being judged by others in response to imperfection. So as a few examples, research shows that the perfectionistic strivings, the high self-standards, can promote academic achievement, can promote athletic performance and problem-solving skills. However, they can also increase anxiety and stress and promote workaholism. Perfectionistic concerns, on the other hand, tend to be associated mostly with negative outcomes. And some of those negative outcomes include low self-esteem, mental health problems like eating disorders and other challenges and academic burnout. So my takeaway from this research personally is that setting and pursuing high standards for yourself, in other words, these perfectionistic strivings as they're called in the literature, are the aspects of perfectionism that have the potential to be the most helpful. The intense levels of self-scrutiny, the worry about how other people will judge you, and the high levels of distress when you are not perfect, in other words, those perfectionistic concerns, are the aspects of perfectionism that tend to be the most problematic. So if you hold yourself to a high standard, That can, of course, help motivate you to move forward towards your goals. It can help you commit to a high caliber of your work. It can help you uphold values of integrity and hard work and help you find a source of pride and personal meaning in your work. However, if you are so focused on the quality of your work and overanalyzing it that you end up getting stuck in the process and not completing projects, or you are so worried about what other people will think of you that you don't take risks, or you have a hard time soliciting and integrating constructive feedback, you will likely miss out on the opportunity to make progress towards your goals and to grow as a person and improve whatever you might be offering to the world. So ultimately, being guided by high standards in a way that you wholeheartedly believe in and that is consistent with your values is helpful. That being said, this pursuit of excellence and greatness also needs to be balanced with the recognition that anything you do, anything you do, will inevitably be flawed. And without that acceptance, you may become so driven by self-criticism and fear of negative feedback that you won't share yourself with the world. And I think it's also important to keep in mind that it is often through mistakes and feedback that we get clearer about our vision and our dreams. And we get clearer about what matters to us most. And getting clearer about our vision and our dreams and what matters to us helps us achieve it. It helps us work towards it. And the mistakes and feedback can also help us change things to improve them, to make them better. And there are so many examples of this 
in the business world, for instance, of people who released a product that flopped and how that failure ultimately gave them important insights that led them to develop something even greater and wildly more successful or stories about people who wrote books that were rejected at first but then became bestsellers. And as you heard me say at the beginning of this podcast, here I am releasing this imperfect podcast every few weeks that really touch someone's life. And so and so I think this is so important to keep in mind that it is often through our mistakes and our failures and our willingness to be vulnerable and the risks that we take toward those ends that we actually can connect more closely with other people that we have the opportunity to really inspire and motivate and change other people's lives and and to promote healing and I think when we can release this mindset that failure is an indication of inferiority or our lack of worth if we can find some ease and appreciation in the process of whatever it is that we're doing parenting pursuing professional endeavors we're less vulnerable to the sting of rejection it's not that rejection necessarily stops hurting But the more that we practice being vulnerable and putting ourselves out there and being open to receiving criticism, the more we can habituate it. So we can learn to take it less personally and to become more discerning of what feedback is helpful and what isn't. So we can look for the kernels of wisdom that we want to guide us and leave the rest because we don't have anything to hide. We don't have anything to prove because we have released ourselves from the need to to be perfect and we're able to appreciate and savor and celebrate the invitation for growth that can come from these mistakes the wisdom that can come from these mistakes and imperfections So in summary, I hope that today provided you with a sense of what perfectionism or perfectionistic tendencies are, which includes these three key dimensions of self-oriented perfectionism requiring perfection of the self, more other-oriented perfectionism requiring perfection of other people, and more socially prescribed perfectionism, really believing that other people require perfection of us. And as I mentioned, it really is important to view perfectionistic tendencies with compassion since they do serve a meaning and a purpose and a function and they are often an attempt to cope with anxiety and prior life experiences and conditioning. We also walked through a self-assessment to help us examine the ways in which perfectionism can show up in varying degrees in different life domains, including appearance, physical fitness, profession, hobbies, parenting and mentoring, relationships, sex life, physical environment, vulnerability, spaciousness, relationship to success, as well as self-worth and self-beliefs. And we emphasized the importance of really gaining insight into our tendencies and patterns and the ways in which they both do and don't serve us so we can have more clarity with which to decide what, if anything, we want to change and can therefore live from a more intentional place. We also went through some of the causes of perfectionism, some of the roots of perfectionism like childhood experiences, parent and caregiver personalities and dynamics, birth order, peer pressure, social influence, various cultures of sports, activities, belief systems, personality traits, fears of failure, and societal messages. And we also talked about the aspects of perfectionism that tend to be the most helpful 
which are having high but not unrealistic standards. And we also highlighted the most harmful aspects of perfectionistic tendency, which is the more intense self-scrutiny, the preoccupation with how others will judge you, and the high levels of distress when you are not perfect and you make mistakes. Because those qualities, those characteristics can lead to anxiety, low self-esteem, procrastination, incomplete projects, stuckness, resistance to asking for and receiving constructive feedback, as well as aversion to risk and lost opportunities and really missing out on the richness of life and the creative process. So in a nutshell, perfectionistic tendencies can help us maintain a false sense of control and security over how we will be received in the world, how our work will be perceived, how our character will be received, often at the expense of not achieving our goals as fully as we can and missing out on the growth and transformation that comes from a true willingness to take risks and to be vulnerable. And it can also lead us to not enjoy the process of creation and creativity and learning and cause us to tie our worth to external parameters. And when we can separate our identity and our true value and worth from what we produce and how our efforts, our achievements land with others, we can arrive at a more stable sense of self because we are more deeply, intimately connected with our intrinsic inherent worth, which is not defined by the results of our actions. Thank you so much for carving out the time to listen to this podcast on a topic that I'm so passionate about. And I, of course, encourage you to check out the subsequent episodes with the more extended self-assessment exercise and the companion worksheets in the second self-assessment episode, as well as more coping strategies and ideas for ways to shift perfectionism in the third follow-up episode as you feel inspired. Thank you all so much, and I look forward to you joining me next time. Thank you for listening to the science and soul of living well. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, or leave a review. And if you'd like to reach out or connect more, I would love to hear from you. So please check out my website or follow me on Instagram. To find me on Instagram, you can search for Dr. Foynes. That is D-R-F-O-Y-N-E-S. And to learn more about me and connect via my website, you can visit melissafoynes.com. That is M-E-L-I-S-S-A-F-O-Y-N-E-S.com. Thank you so much for carving out the time to join me this week and I look forward to having you join the next time.